0: Good morning, everyone. I know you're probably confused. Jeff, you're probably extra confused because that wasn't a James slide, so you can boo me still if you want. Uh, but today we're gonna take a break from our Revelation series, and we're gonna talk about something pertaining to the VBS that's taking place in our children's ministry this week, Monday through Friday. Uh, and the, the same theme as we're carrying it over here is, is make waves. Uh, and we're gonna get into that in just a second, but before I do, there's one thing I wanna announce as a church. Um, One of our church members, Kevin Blackburn, recently has been going through quite a few health issues. They're very severe, Um, and in fact, he's been down in Indy, uh, and he can be there for potentially the next five plus weeks, going through some very uh, traumatic and serious surgeries uh, for his health. And so as a church, we've decided to uh, intercede on he and his family's behalf. So at 3.30 today, here this afternoon, up in the youth area upstairs, If you would, uh, we would ask you to join us and we're going to pray for Kevin and his family as a father of his home and and for his family as they go through uh, all the procedures and things necessary to bring him back to health. So if you can't join us, we also would just ask that you would just pray uh, for Kevin Blackburn and his family uh, as they continue on this journey. So this week and next week, we're going to be talking about making waves. Uh, The idea of making waves would be that you can make a difference today, it would change the life of someone else forever. And what we're going to focus on here is the idea of family discipleship. So family discipleship was, I think, really fitting, obviously, we're bringing all this Uh, generation of young children in throughout this week uh, and we're going to teach them about Jesus but it's important that we in our roles at home can teach others about Jesus as well and so I I thought it'd be fitting that this week we'll talk about the role of the disciple and then next Sunday we'll talk about the time that it's going to take to be a disciple because I think there's really two kind of barriers to discipleship there. As a role we have to understand what it's going to take We have to understand what's required of us. We have to know that role first and foremost. And I think it's hard putting that into today's life. If we're not being intentional with our time, it's hard to make sure we're filling that role as a disciple for our family and for our friends, for the lost and the loved ones around us. And the second thing is that you don't know how much time you have. And it's gonna take a lot of time to disciple someone. You know, uh, and we'll get into that next week, but if you really look at how much time you have with someone in your home or with anyone, if you put it on a a weekly basis and track it, it's actually incredible how little time you really have to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so we're gonna talk about this week, the role of the disciple. And I think it's really important that we frame it this way because it starts with us. If we wanna make waves, if we wanna change a generation of people it doesn't start with the young, it starts with me. It starts with the believers in the body being equipped and being prepared to be disciples. Now, you might not have kids at home. You might be a parent who doesn't have kids. You, know, you might have been through some tragedy in life. You know, Maybe you were able to raise kids you know, at a, and now you're in an older phase of life and your kids are gone and you don't have anyone to disciple within your home. Regardless of whatever your life looks like right now, understand this. You have an influence, and the belief system that you hold can make a difference for someone else. It's not just for a little kid. It's for an adult at work. It's for a friend, for whoever else it might be in your life. We need to consider as disciples how we can be intentional about reaching them forever. So I'm going to frame this with three real passages of Scripture today. We're going to be in Deuteronomy, Titus, and Matthew. So we're going on an adventure in God's Word today. So if you would, let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So the first thing we're gonna read about here in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine are this. It says, "'Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. "'You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart "'and with all your soul and with all your might. "'And these words that I command you today "'shall be on your heart. "'You shall teach them diligently to your children "'and shall talk of them when you sit in your house "'and when you walk by the way "'and when you lie down and when you rise.' You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. So with that in mind, I want to really quick talk about the context of what this passage of Scripture means. And so if you go back to the Israelites being enslaved in Egypt, Moses was called to have the Israelites come out of captivity, so God called Moses and sent Moses to go to Pharaoh to have the Egyptians or to have the Egyptian armies you know relinquish control of the Israelites the Israelites were allowed to leave they fled through the seas they go into the wilderness and they wandered for forty years in the wilderness just to get to the promised land and so in between all of this mess that you read about in scripture uh, it's actually a beautiful design by God and so God, understand this, and this will be important later, God called Moses to go do something, to, to go to Pharaoh, right, and to intercede for the people of Israel. The other thing he had Moses do was God gave Moses the law, the commandments, and then Moses had to take that and give it to the people of Israel. It's important to remember that when God gave or gives someone something, it's important to not leave it there and to share it with people who need to know about it, right? So just put that in the back of our minds as we continue on. But the context of this now is where Moses is reading through Deuteronomy. If you read Deuteronomy, it's repetitive almost, but it's necessary. So he's going over the law again, and there's a reason for that. You see, when God released the people from, Isra- from Egypt, excuse me, the Israelites from Egypt, there was a generation of people who ended up doing nothing but complaining the whole time. We're Walking through the Red Sea, God's performing miracles, he's doing the plagues, let's not forget about the Passover. He takes the Israelites out of captivity and all they do is complain. This entire generation of people complains. And Moses himself has a hiccup and God says, not only are this, is this generation of Israelites that were in Egypt not only will they not enter the promised land, now you will not enter the promised land, Moses. So Moses is able to see it from a distance, but that generation of Israelites will not enter into the land of Canaan, the promised land. So when Moses is reiterating the law here, he's teaching it to a generation of people who didn't experience and make the decisions and the complaints that happened in captivity and in the wilderness. It's for the people who were, the Bible says ages 20 and below, really, that couldn't make decisions for their home, that were children, some not even born yet. So we're talking about a time where 40 years they wonder, and if you were the age of 20 and above, you're not going to the promised land now. And so Moses is interesting, has to now teach not only this generation that won't go to the promised land as they die off, but also the new generation that's gonna go into the promised land, and guess what? Moses isn't going with them, the very guy that was given the law and the commandments by God he is not entering the promise in himself, so he has to train up someone to lead the people. So he trains up Joshua, right? This is really important to know because while he's reading through and he's giving them the law again, he's telling them to teach this to your children. And if you go back in Deuteronomy and keep reading, there's this phrase that says, remember you were once slaves, remember you were once slaves, remember you were once slaves. Like it'll be a whole train of thought, remember you were slaves, because there was a group of people who potentially didn't even understand the captivity or the conditions that they were in to understand how beautiful the promised land would be so long as they're obedient to God. So Moses is now commanding this new generation to say, hey, you need to write this on your hearts. And it's funny because when he says this, it's, it's called the Shema. It says, if you read the beginning lines of this in Hebrew, it's Shema Yisrael. It means, hear, O Israel. Hear literally meant to listen and to do And to obey. So when someone said, hear me right now, I mean, you were gonna do something about it. And Moses saying, hear, O Israel, and do this. And he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all of your might, right? He says this. You should be teaching this where? To your children at home, right? There's something to be said about raising a home to know who God is. And so Moses is spending time giving this command to the people. And I think it's funny because it's echoed in Scripture. We read this very prayer, the Shema, which, mind you, is like a morning and an evening prayer. It was said regularly, like we would say the Lord's Prayer if you said it regularly. The Shema was just as frequent. He says, you need to write it on your gates. You need to write it on your doorposts. You need to tie it to yourselves. And the Jewish culture, they literally do that because it's supposed to be evident to other people that you love and obey the Lord your God. So if I'm walking around and I saw that written on the doorpost, I would know who that person is, and today we need to know something very similar because this still applies to us. Who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ should be known by other people by the way that you live and by the way that you act and by the way that you speak. It should be evident to other people. Jesus goes on to take this very prayer, and he teaches it when the disciples ask about what the greatest commandment is. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. You know why he says that? Why would Jesus echo this? Number one, he was taught it in his home as a young boy. Fully God, fully man. Jesus grew up in a Jewish home, and you know what they said every morning and every evening? The Shema. You know what he had to believe and what was written on his heart? The Shema, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. This is important. If you teach this regularly in your homes, to love God, your life would follow. The things that you do would follow in obedience with what God has commanded. Because if you love someone, you'll listen to them. And if you can always remember to love someone and put that at the top of your list, unconditional love, especially with what God has done and does, you would learn to obey and to be obedient to his commands. So it's really important that we talk about teaching our kids in the home. Right now, I'm going uh, with my daughter through the Westminster Confession of Faith. Some of you are like, what's that? That's that's the point. I'm going through something that nobody really talks about that I learned in college with my three-year-old daughter. I sit down in the evening, and I go through these different questions with her when she goes to bed, and I ask her things. Like last night, before I was, I was kind of sermon prepping, my wife was taking her down to bed, and I said, before you go to bed, I wanna ask you one question, can you do it? And she said, yeah. And mind you, she's like everywhere right now, so getting her attention's hard. I said, okay, Ren, what's a covenant? You know, How are you gonna get a kid to answer that? And she goes, a covenant is an agreement between two or more people. <laughs> and I'm like, very, like it makes me happy to see my daughter not only being able to retain something like that, because that took me I don't know how many years to understand what a covenant really is, but my three year old daughter knows this and this is why I feel it's important to teach in the home too. If we want to love God and we wanna put that as the greatest commandment with everything within us and all of our capacity and understanding and ability to do especially, we have to teach them about God. They have to know God so that they can love God and if they don't know God, if you don't know someone, how could you ever love them and learn to be obedient to them? So my wife and I said, we're gonna do this. We're gonna train our kids in the ways of the Lord. We're gonna spend time intentionally. We're gonna teach them what it's like to have a prayer life. We're gonna teach them to intercede on behalf of their friends and family. And we're gonna teach them what it's like to talk regularly in our home about who God is. It's something I'm not gonna compromise on, but I have a fear. And maybe you can share in this fear and maybe it's just me, but I know people in my life near and dear to me who have experienced this is that I don't want to force my kids into a relationship with Jesus because I fear that I would just be feeding them too much and I don't want to starve my kids by not giving them enough. I want them to be in a right relationship with Jesus and the only way that I can do it and as I am called is to teach my kids at home. It's my role as a father, you see this? The generation that's gonna change isn't gonna be Ren, or maybe it is, but you know where it starts? Me. Dad, spending time with my kids in my home so I can make sure that they know who the Lord our God is. So we said as a family, this is what it's gonna be. This is what we will accept and this is what we do because when I send my daughter and my son, when I send them out into the world one day, I want my kids to be like, hey, I know we're going through this thing together, but let me tell you something that I know and something that's proven the test of time that can't be disproved. I want to equip my daughter. Same thing, Jesus was raised in a home. And so it's important for us as disciples to know the home is a very important place uh, and it's where it really starts. But if you go into now Titus 2, I'll kind of give you some background while you're going to the back of your Bible and flipping back a few chapters. Um, but Titus 2 is really interesting and I wanna again give context to this because now we're talking about here's how you disciple at home with your children but now here's a call to the church to go from generation to generation and it's not just the home, it's the church all inclusive. And so this letter of Titus, very first thing to know is that most disciples or people that we read of in scripture were Jews and they were reaching a Gentile culture or Gentiles that they didn't you know, have much relation with And so there was a barrier to learning about how to be a Jew and to reach a Gentile. Well, Titus was a Gentile. Titus was someone who was brought to Christ through discipleship. And now Paul is writing to Titus, telling him, a young Gentile man, how to lead a group of Gentiles. And they're in Crete. And the kind of the culture in Crete at the time was that men were lazy and gluttonous and women were slanders, gospers, and takers, partakers of much wine. And I said this first service, but I don't think it's much different in today's culture. Like those things are still relatable and still evident in society around us. And so Paul is charging Titus, he's like, hey, listen, if you want your church to thrive, if you want discipleship to take place, you know what it's going to take and you can read through all of Titus, I encourage it. It's gonna take an older generation pouring into a younger generation if we wanna see the kingdom of God change. If we wanna advance the kingdom of God here on earth, if we wanna tell everyone we know, this generation of people is gonna have to pour into this generation of people. Very simple, right? So as we read in, I'm gonna go through kind of uh, sequence by sequence, verse by verse, and we'll talk through the roles of the church. So the first thing is this. But as for you, in verse one, chapter two of Titus, but as for you, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Very first thing we need to know is that the church should be a model for discipleship. If a church isn't doing it, how do we think anybody else is gonna look to a church and be like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? No, I'm not gonna sit up here and say, I am the perfect model. I'm not perfect, I would never claim to be, but what I'll tell you is, I'm always aware that more work needs to be done, and I need to remove in me the things that are preventing me from being the disciple that God has called me to be. So it should start within the church, right? So he's urging Titus here. But then he's gonna go on, he's gonna talk about older men. This is in verse two. It says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. How many wives have your husband that are all those? Still, nobody, first service now, oh, all right, (laughs) so one. But the point is this, that list is, is kind of hard to achieve for men, right? It's not something that's pretty easy but what he's telling us is that older men need to set an example for younger men. These are the attributes that it's gonna take for younger men to look at you and be like, man, I need to figure out what that guy did and what he's been through. But when you think of older men, and as I was going through this, I don't think of the happy-go-lucky man who's always like, life is so great, everything is awesome. I think of the grumpy old man get off my lawn. Or like I said, first service, it was like the person who's just like, you young kids have no clue how hard I have it or how I had it. My life was terrible. You got it so easy. That's right. I'm not gonna sit here and say maybe your life wasn't rough growing up. I'm not gonna sit here and say that maybe you haven't been through things that nobody else should ever experience. But what I'll say is this. What good is telling someone you have it harder than them ever gonna do for advancing the gospel? If you want to reach a generation, you know what you need to do? You need to show them how to be the model that you didn't have when you were going through it. Life could have been tough, wrecked you, I'm not gonna doubt that. You you know, maybe you were molded by trials and different things and experiences in your life and maybe you never had someone to sit down and say, listen, this is how I'm gonna pick you up, I'm gonna show you what God has to say about this and this is how we are gonna get through this together. As an older generation, we should think, older men and younger men, it needs to be thought about how can we Be the person who's like, I'm gonna stand here with you and I'm gonna show you what I went through. I'm gonna show you where I messed up. I'm gonna show you where I was wrong. I'm gonna show you what the world won't give you. And I'm gonna show you who Jesus is through all of this. His entire call here is to say, men, set an example in your home so younger men can look to you. And then he goes on and he says this about women in verse three. It says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. This one was interesting for me because he says likewise. So the first thing to note is as he's teaching older men and as he's teaching older women, he says to the women likewise, you need to. And what's interesting is scripture doesn't always give like a direct line to to women typically. And Titus, not saying it doesn't, but Titus does a really good job of saying, hey, listen, older women, this is what you can do. And it's the same moral compass as a man. And in addition to that, you know what else a woman should do? You know, not gossip, not slander, not be takers of much wine. Again, this was a cultural thing. But what he uses for the word slanderers here in the original text that you'll find, it's similar to saying not doing the devil's work or not being like little devils. Because gossiping, slandering, none of it really builds God's kingdom. It doesn't really edify anybody or build the body of Christ or create cohesiveness. It just divides. And as I was thinking through this, I was at my in-law's house and I was watching television. We don't normally have television in our house. We're in the middle of, Remodeling house, I don't wanna go down that road. But we just do Wi-Fi. And I was scrolling through the channels the other day and I was just like, my goodness. Like there are shows, like what is this? Shows on TV are filled, and you know what's sickening is all this, it sells with sexual content, vulgar content, All people are drunk and obliterated. It's fun to do these things. I have more money than you. Let's gossip, let's slander, let's do all these things. All of these shows that are thriving and have multiple seasons returning are surrounded by these things. You know what's even worse? It's in Christian homes today. We're setting an example for other generations, but then, and I'm gonna say this cautiously, women, and maybe men too, I don't know, will look forward to watching the next episode of The Housewives, The Kardashians, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. They look forward to watching a show that promotes all of those things. Not only that, they can't wait to tell their friends about it and talk about it. And you know what it does too, honestly? It sets an expectation so far away from your reality that people tend to be disappointed in today's world. Look at that house that woman has. Look at that marriage they have. Look how beautiful her body looks. Older women, you wanna teach your younger women how to be self-controlled, and you wanna teach your younger women how to be reserved and modest and how to be a woman of a home? You can't let influences like that become idols for these kids as they grow up, because you know what social media and television and everything is full of? It's here's what a woman should look like, and the world's saying it, and it's attractive. It's attractive. And he's saying, if you want attributes, young women, he'll give them for them as well. It's like, this is what you need to be. But older women, you're the steward of the environment. And this goes for everyone. We are stewards of the environment that we are in, that God has placed us in. And he has put people in our lives and it is up to us to make a change and be the model for them instead of something else. That environment that you're in is everything. And so younger women now, he's gonna charge us. I'll go, I'll go on to that scripture in just a second. He's gonna charge younger women. Again, this also applies for everyone. When you set the example within a marriage or within a relationship for someone else to look at and see what a biblical relationship is to be like, understand this. This is what's important for everyone to hear. A father being a father, a wife being a wife, a husband being a husband, and a mom being a mom, your kids are looking at what that role should be for their future. So you're going to accept things that should not be accepted, or maybe you might see things that devastated you and traumatized you that you never wanna bring into another marriage, and now your entire worldview is based off of what you knew at home in your environment. Same with older people, same with younger people. We're a product of our environment. It's really important that we understand that what we maybe think we don't teach, right, is maybe being allowed in our lives or in our homes. You know, like, have you ever thought about those kids in church? Or, her, you know, like, maybe I've seen this, maybe you can't relate. But there's people who come to church on a Sunday, right? And I mean, I, I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not guilty of any of this. But they'll be at church every Sunday, this family will be, right? They'll be at every programming for children's. They'll be at Wednesday nights. But if you go visit their home, it can be chaos. And I'm not saying that it's not okay to have a home that's wild and vibrant. That's, I mean, have you been? I've been over the Littles' house when I was growing up. <laughs> You know, we did, it was not fun. Tammy used to get on us a lot. But the point is this. <laughs> the, the point is this, though. If we're gonna be stewards of the environment that God has put us in, and we're gonna allow certain things, we need to understand that you might have been, your children or your family or your friends influenced by something that you're not okay with, but you're doing nothing to stop it. When you put the TV on and you let the Kardashians go and your daughter thinks that one of the daughters is the most beautiful thing and I need to buy all her makeup and she sets this lifestyle of like, I need to look a certain way so a guy will love me instead of just teaching a girl what it's like to be a a woman and to be loved by God. When you start setting these expectations before our kids, or maybe it's the kids that, you know, you go into their home and they're watching YouTube shows they shouldn't, TV shows they shouldn't, playing video games they shouldn't, hanging around friends they shouldn't, You know, but this is the problem. We have to be willing to put a boundary or or draw the line and say, this is unacceptable. Because what happens, and I've seen it and I've experienced it, if you're not willing to put your foot down as a parent, your kids are gonna walk all over you. So when they're on the video game and they're acting out and they're acting, playing with guns, saying they're gonna kill people left and right, and when you've got women who are following people on social media, changing the way they look, not eating right, If you don't sit down with your kids and your family and your friends intentionally and say this is unacceptable and you walk through what is acceptable with them, you're not gonna be able to see the change that needs to happen within your home. There's influences everywhere trying to get into the lives of those around you. So how are you gonna take your role and reach them for Christ? That's what he says. And he goes on though to talk about younger men because I didn't get there yet. Young men in verse six, at the end of verse six here, kind of, he says, uh, young, oh, sorry, excuse me, we're gonna go younger women. We can't forget them too. Verse four, verse four, younger women, he says, younger women are to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. This applies to everybody though, in my opinion, that the word of God may not be reviled, to me means this. This is a great measure for any one of us. If the way that you live, if the things that you say and the things that you accept into your daily life and within your home prevent the spread of the gospel, then you need to change something. Something has to change because what we should be promoting is the gospel. What we should be promoting is all the things that God has commanded us and decreed us to be and to do for his will. You're gonna to have to remove things out of your life, but you're gonna to have to set up the measure to say, if it's not doing this, I've gotta get rid of it because this is what God wants me to do, right? So then younger men, he goes on, he says this. Younger men, verse six now, thank you. Be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. So if you could summarize all these things, these are all great attributes. If you wanna know what a younger man should do and what an older man should do and how we should exemplify this or be a model of this, you can go to Titus 2 and it'll tell you. But what's interesting is if you read this older generation pouring into a younger generation, and if you go through scripture, you know what you don't find. Here's how your youth ministry should go. Here's how your children's ministry should go. And here's how your nursery should go. You know what it actually, I think, is interesting, though? Because really what I think Titus is saying, even though Scripture doesn't give those specific things, and we do them here, and there's a reason for it. We believe in appropriate, age-appropriate ministries here at the church, and most people do, because there should be an older generation pouring into a younger generation. But I'll tell you something right now. If you think Sunday morning should be the best ministry that you experience, you're wrong. The best ministry that you should have should be in your home. The kids that you have in your home, your kids' friends, your friends, your family, you can be salt and light for them. You know what they're going through. You know their concerns, their troubles, their setbacks, the things happening within your marriage. Things that only coming Sunday isn't going to teach anyone. It's never going to do you any good if you stay in the lane of I'm only going to be here when... But if you take that outside into your home and go to the big church at large and get connected in community and spend time with your family, think about how discipleship can really take place. And so here's the expectation for men and women. If you're a man, be a man. Show your son, show your niece, your nephew, everyone around you, your wife, how to love a woman. If you're a woman, Show those around you, your daughter, your nieces, your nephews, everyone, show them how to be a woman who loves a man, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's just your kids or if it's someone that you work with that you barely even know. You still have the potential to influence them to make a change for the rest of someone's life. And so now we can see it's important to happen in our homes. It's important that we look at our role. How can a younger generation really be considerate about investing into a younger generation who doesn't know where to start? Part of this is to say, everything that you've gone through, older generation, you need to teach the young ones so they know, because they don't know where to start, but you can help them. Mentor someone. You know, bring them up in the ways of the Lord, because you know what's missing in today's world? Men. People leading a home. You want to know why kids are lost? There's no one at home standing in the gap. So I'm going to transition this now to Matthew chapter 14. So we're going to go, and I'll go back a little bit more. Matthew chapter 14 is the feeding of the 5000 it's in verses 13 to 21 Matthew 14 verses 13 to 21 and when we talk about the feeding of the 5000 i think we typically think of the provisions of Christ or the power of Christ or the you know those types of things and not that those are untrue but this specific account is mentioned in all four gospels you know the first three Matthew Mark and Luke are synoptic you know typically you can find everything mentioned in different ways through those Or it'll only be mentioned in John, and this one specifically is in all four. And I'm gonna read through this. I'm gonna highlight some things I think it's really important that we understand as disciples and as followers of Christ. So, if you would, Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. It says this When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds follow him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, And saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to the heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children couple things I want to highlight here. When he says, you give them something to eat. And when he gives thanks and he breaks the bread, he hands the bread to the disciples. And then the disciples hand it to the people. It says it fed 5,000 people. The disciples were the hands and feet of using what God was doing to give to those who had a need. They stood in the gap and Jesus could have done any, Jesus could have made plates, tables, drinks, everything appear out of nowhere, out of nothing. He said, no, you give them something to eat. You do it. How many were fed? It says 5,000, right? Or does it? It says 5,000 men besides women and children is what they counted. So I'm gonna ask you a question. I want you to leave your hands raised while I ask this. How many of you are married? How many of you are engaged? Keep your hands up if you're married. How many of you engaged? Mom, you can raise your hand higher. How many of you are dating? How many of you have children? Okay, if you look around the room, it's a pretty large consensus, right? You can put your hands down. If you were one man receiving this fish and this bread, if you had a wife, if you had a child, if you had multiple children, because Jewish culture, it wasn't just you had one or two and you're done, The man stood up in the gap for his family and provided for, if you did the numbers, 15, 20, we don't know, 1,000 people actually ate. The only way that many people ate was when Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They broke all of that. They shared it with other people from what God had given them, and they sat down, and the men who had stood up for their families were able to take what God had given and given it back to their families. Culture today, like I've said it, men are absent there are single mothers here who are taking a role of a man and they're the ones who are gonna step up and defeat, but the design of a man was to be the one who would lead his home. Now, I'm not saying, you know, maybe, maybe you've lost a loved one, right? You still have the God-given ability to be a provider because of what he's called you to in the role of discipleship. Men, can step in the gap for their families. Women can step in the gap for their families. Foster parents can step in the gap for their families. Guardians of kids raising kids, grandparents raising kids. You can step in the gap for your family because when God gives us something, it's up to us and it's up to our role to give it to another generation. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. The disciples back then didn't have much of anything to do this, or to do any of the work that they did to change the world. They had something very significant. They had Jesus and a relationship with Jesus. Right, obviously when this miracle was performed, they had, you know, bread and fish and some faith. But what does a disciple today really need? You've been given the word of God, the most powerful weapon that you could have And why not have some open arms while you're at it? All you need to equip yourself today is spending time and devoting time to knowing who God is. This is an excuse that can't continue in the church today. It's that I can't begin to train anybody up because I don't know anything. Church, I need more sermons. I need more discipleship classes. I need more small groups. I need more devotionals. Why aren't you helping me? All you have to do is open the book and start there. It starts very simply with here. And, and no, you're not gonna know everything to start, but you have to start. And you know what you can continue to do as you are going through this? I think we fail to do. You see, many people open up their Bibles like I do. I read mine every morning. Open up my Bible. I read whatever, you know, I feel like I'm gonna read for the day, whatever chapter it is. You know, I go through, I talk about it. I'm thinking about what it means and how I can apply it. Or maybe, you know, you come to church, right? You come to church on Sunday. You're, you're setting an example you're showing your kids to read their Bible. You're showing your kids to come to church. Good. You should. You know what I think we fail to engage in? I don't think we invite anybody to talk about those things with us. How often do you sit with your family and talk about Jesus? I was convicted. I went on a vacation not long ago to Disney, and we were so bombarded by the craziness of Disney in Florida and being husband and wife with two kids that. I looked back after the vacation and I was disappointed. I was almost disgusted. I said, look how much we enjoyed ourselves and how little we talked about Jesus. I read my Bible every day. We didn't miss church. So was I doing something wrong? Not necessarily, but I wasn't doing enough. If I'm gonna teach my kids about Jesus, it doesn't take breaks on vacation. It's still okay to have conversation about the Lord. So this sermon series is inspired by this book, Family Shepherds, was really one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this today. Not that much of what I talked about was in there, but the call to wake up and lead your families and to lead those around you is in there. It's by Vodi Bacham. I highly recommend it, Family Shepherds, Vodi Bacham, And he uses this illustration that I wanted to share with you. And it's, again, I'm summarizing it because it's not exact. But if you look from afar at a family, a, a Christian family, you see, dad is an elder of a church. Mom leads the women's ministry. There's three kids, there's a teenage daughter in the youth program, you know, there's a, another daughter who's in you know, the children's ministry, and then there's a son, the youngest son, and he is uh, in children's ministry as well. The point is this, my family shows up to church every Sunday. Dad reads his Bible, mom prays with other women, you know, they, you know their kids come to church, they attend the programming that we have, But if you were to sit inside their house you know what you see if you were to get to know that family and open up the book dad only doing what dad needs to do because he's always busy trying to provide mom's always trying to catch up with the kids and get them from place to place and she's struggling secretly and her marriage is failing but she doesn't want to admit it the oldest daughter's not even in the youth program she skips it and nobody knows about it because they don't even talk about it Middle daughter's interested by what's happening in the world and nobody's there to guide her and the son doesn't even have a relationship with Jesus because he sits on a video game all day, every day. Looks like the ideal Christian family on the outside, but when you go within, it's broken, it's lost. There's nothing there. See, what we've done today in our church culture is we have not made home a home. That family goes to the same church And they go home and they do completely different things the rest of the week. And I refuse to leave Jesus at church on Sunday. And for me and my family, we will continue to talk about Christ when we wake up, when we go to bed, before we have a meal, as we go about our days but when we go home and we don't even engage in conversations with the very people, we're talking about discipleship right now. It's not because it's good because it lines up with VBS. It's because people's lives are at stake. Your very children, if you wanna see them eternally, why not invest in them? The friends, the family members, those that are lost that you know, you have a role to play in their life and they are needing you to be the salt and the light. And you know what else you have? You have a big testimony to share too. If you can't start anywhere let's talk about where you started let's start there let's get into relationships with people and there was a Puritan uh, last thing I want to say there's a Puritan commentator uh, who has this quote I think just kind of convicted me I want to share with you his name was John Flavel and he says this if you neglect to instruct your children or be an influence to those around you do you think the devil will neglect his role to instruct them in the ways of wickedness. You have a choice. What role are you gonna take? So you please stand so I can pray for you. Gracious Father, we wouldn't be here today without you. Let us never forget that. Let us put all that you have done from the beginning of creation to the end of times at the forefront of our families, Lord. Let us stand upon your word. Let us create a foundation in our families that says we're gonna do nothing but reach people for you, God. Let it be so normal in our lives. Lord, sometimes this can be convicting to recognize that we're not filling our role, but it's never too late to change. And God, I know I want to, and I know your church wants to change for you. So do what you have to do in us, Lord. Lord, equip us, prepare us, send us out. Reach us, teach us, send us. Let that be the model that we can do for other people, Lord. Lord, we look to you. We stand on your truth and your word. Direct us in our path to reach those around us. Lord, we trust you with these things. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Jesus, the only one who could ever save Jesus, breath we could ever breathe We live for you could ever see the only one who could ever save you're worthy of every breath we could ever and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken.
0: This week, I just wanna put a challenge out there for you. Whatever your sphere of influence is, whatever your home is like, each day this week, Talk about Jesus with your family. You don't have to know what you're talking about. You can look it up together. You can research it together. Maybe it's something you read that you want to share with your family. But when you wake up, when you go your ways, and when you lie down, I want us to be intentional about how we can be disciples. So I want to thank you for joining us here today. Uh, We look forward to seeing you next week. We love you all. Have safe and traveling mercies. God bless.